Hello. Hello, and welcome to Plotting Through the President. Welcome back. I'm Howard Dory. I'm Jessica Dory, his wife. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like... You I sound had like, other words in there, but they I lost them at the last minute, so if, it just sounded like English was not my first language. If you were applying for a green card, I would not believe <laughs> that you were married to me. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like I'm something his happened. Wife? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm... we met at a dance. <laughs> I didn't mean to put a question mark at the end of that statement. It just happened. I I really did have more vocabulary to put into that sentence, but it. I lost it, and then I started questioning myself, and the anxiety took over, and that's where the question mark came from. But you can move on now. We don't have to talk about it for the full. We usually take a deep, irreverent dive into a lesser-known story about an early American president. Not usually a story I'm privy to ahead of time. This week, we're doing something a little different. Really? We're going to look at four of the most popular stories online about my favorite early president. So John Quincy Adams? John Quincy Adams. Four online stories. That seems like a lot. I know that you're already familiar with a couple of these because I've written about them before. We're going to dig into each one of these facts one by one to see if they're real or if the internet is full of lies. Oh, well, the internet's definitely real. I do know that. I've never seen a lie on the internet. I've never seen a lie on the internet. So we can just stop recording now. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) All right, bring it on me. So are these four stories or four facts? Four facts. Or questionable facts. Alternative facts. Facts slash stories. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Number one is a ubiquitous inspirational quote attributed to John Quincy Adams. Number two is going to be a pet alligator he kept in the White House. Oh, I remember this one. Number three is his skinny dipping ambush interview. And number four is his expedition to meet the mole people. I have no idea about the mole people, but I do know, you know, the Anna and Elsa story called Frozen, where they meet up with trolls. Is it similar to that? It's just like that. Just like this one. Frozen was based on the life of John Quincy Adams. (laughs) Yeah. And there you have it, folks. Alternative fact number five. (laughs) Louisa Adams might have said he had a frozen heart, but. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So alternative fact number one was what again? The inspirational quote. If you search for John Quincy Adams on Twitter, and why would you, one thing comes up more than any other. It's an inspirational quote. It's been shared thousands of times with different backgrounds. Sometimes there's a picture of a dad sitting down with his son on the couch. Sometimes it's just a picture of a whale swimming around. (laughs) Uh, The Smithsonian Institute, they have a book of presidents for kids. Each little two-page spread has one quote from each president. Mm -hmm. And this is a quote that they listed for John Quincy Adams. Tony Robbins has shared it. Donald Trump shared it. Ivanka Trump even published it in a book. Here's the quote. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Oh, well, you're a leader to me, honey. Oh, that's really sweet. Inspire me to do more. Oh, you tell me to do more. I don't know. I guess <laughs> that's kind of like inspire. Right word. <laughs> yeah. You lead me to do I, more. So I you're a leader. I order you to do more. Okay. So I'm guessing that you have questions whether or not this was actually said by John Quincy Adams or you wouldn't be bringing it to the mic today. Well, he died in 1848. Does that quote sound like something someone would have said in the 1800s? Well, can you say it one more time? I'll read it one more time for you. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. 
No, definitely not. It sounds very 20th century. Okay, well, let's let's take a look at a real quote from John Quincy Adams and tell me if you think they came from the same universe. Okay. There are two political principles that form the basis of the system of policy best suited to the interests and the duties of this country. One in relation to its internal concerns, union. The other in respect to its intercourse with foreign nations, independence. These principles are the keys to my political creed. <laughs> yeah, two different universes, for sure. So not, One sounds a lot more sophisticated, and the other sounds like a made-for-TV movie. Okay, yeah. That was in a letter, by the way, to Skelton Jones. <laughs> Good old Skelton. Skelton. The cruelest parents ever. Skelton and what was it, Meriwether? Meriwether and Skelton. The yeah. Jones brothers. The Jones brothers. Those good old Jones brothers. Not only does the Be More, Do More quote sound nothing like anything John Quincy Adams would ever say, but it doesn't appear anywhere in the tens of thousands of pages of his diary or letters that he wrote, according to Sarah Martin, editor of the Adams Papers. So you and Sarah Martin read through every single page of his diary. No. Sarah Martin <laughs> is pretty familiar with them, and she spoke to Quote Investigator. That is a website that, hold on, investigates quotes. Oh, thanks for breaking that down. You're welcome. Quote Investigator did an excellent job digging into the origins of this. They found that the first time this quote was attributed to Adams uh, appears to be in a 2002 business book. So who lied in 2002? And where did the quote originally come from? I think we should name names and blame blames, don't you? We may change some names to protect the innocent. Uh, there are no innocent. The earliest form of the quote appears in a 1997 book called The Most Important Thing I Know. So this is where the quote actually seems to have come from. And it was said by Dolly Parton. <laughs> oh, no. Well, go Dolly. It, you know, it's a great quote, but it just wasn't from John Quincy Adams. I love Dolly. I don't know if I agree it's a great quote, but I love <laughs> Dolly Parton. I mean, what's not I mean, to it's love? It's not a bad quote. Sure. You're disagreeing with me that it's a, a great quote? I mean, it's it's fine for what it is. It's, yeah. Well, I'm not going to, like, put it in needle stitch on a pillow. I mean, I think I'd... if you inspire others to be more, do more, then you're that's an inspiration. That's lovely. I don't lovely. know if you're a leader. That's love. It's lovely. Okay, fine. It's, it's lovely. There's nothing... I mean, you got to appreciate the little things if we're going to make it through this life. Right. So Dolly Parton, I mean, very talented songwriter. I Will Always Love You, Jolene, 9 to 5. She's Lee so... Jolene. She's so uplifting, I think, is the best word for her. And she has at least one thing in common with John Quincy Adams. Hmm. Not the blonde hair. I don't know. Just tell what me. What do you think John Quincy Adams loves more than anything? Country music? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I don't know. I don't know what they have in common at all. He loved books. Oh. Almost too much. His mm -hmm. wife once wrote to him before they were married saying he was letting his excessive fondness for books usurp her place in his heart. Well, that's... You know, I can relate to that. So Dolly Parton loves books, too, but she shares the love. In 1995, she started the nonprofit, the Imagination Library. Aww. And since then, they've given away over 100 million books to families who need them. Oh, my gosh. So Dolly Parton deserves better than to have one of her quotes attributed to John Quincy Adams. And he deserves better than to have his number one most shared quote not even be from him. So if you see this quote shared on Twitter or published somewhere, send them to Quote Investigator or PolitiFact. They have a good article on that, too. Or send them a link to this podcast. Because if your actions inspire others to do a little research before they share something, then you are a leader. Lead the way by speaking truth. Yeah. Credit where credit is due. 
don't undo Dolly's do. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I have seen that quote around. Yeah, the mayor of San Diego just shared it this past weekend. It's it's huge. And it's a nice sentiment. It just shouldn't be associated with him. Right. Agreed. That brings us to number two, the pet alligator. Oh, this is a really, this is a good one. So this one is a lot more fun than a new agey inspirational quote. The story goes that John Quincy Adams was given a pet alligator by the Marquis de Lafayette, and he kept that alligator in the East Room of the White House or an adjacent bathroom. Sounds so dangerous. And he didn't tell guests it was there because he enjoyed watching them run from the bathroom in terror. (laughs) With one less limb. Right. So this story is not only shared online as a fact by sites like Mental Floss and CNN, but it's also the subject of several children's books that have really imaginative covers of John Quincy Adams and this pet alligator. There's even a plush John Quincy Adams alligator pet that you can buy from places like Mount Vernon. And this little fact even graces a Snapple cap. Really? Real fact number 1,211 is... Snapple lied to us? President John Quincy Adams' pet alligator lived in a White House bathroom. But is it true? I I mean, from what I remember, it's questionably not true. I'm questionable. It's it's questionable. It is. I'm not questionable. (laughs) A few years ago, I dived deep into the abyss. I remember. And it was a Kafka-esque labyrinth that I was lucky to escape from. (laughs) So most modern sources of the story cite the Presidential Pet Museum as their source. Now, in its current state, it's a website. It's not a physical museum that you can visit. But they have a lot of great information. About the alligator? Yeah. About lots of things. Mostly about presidential pets. Wow. But in their article about this... They say that Lafayette was given an alligator as a gift while touring the U.S., and then he regifted it to President John Quincy Adams. So this is what their site says about it. This is what most people who talk about this cite. Unfortunately, we don't know what President and Mrs. John Quincy Adams' initial reactions were to this unusual regifting. However, we do know that President Adams did what any president should do. He lodged the gator in the White House's unfinished East Room and its nearby bathtub. Sources report that Adams enjoyed showing the scary-looking animal off to disbelieving White House visitors for several months before it moved to a different home. Say it were true. There's so many irresponsible things about that. I mean, number one, you don't keep an alligator in a bathroom. It's a wild animal. It does not belong in the White House or house or bathtub or bathroom. Also, it is totally irresponsible to let guests go into a room unknowingly where there lies an alligator. That is extremely dangerous. I and don't I disagree. I can't imagine anyone truly doing that to somebody. They could be killed yeah. or lose a limb, literally. So yeah. I can't imagine that being the pastime of John Quincy. So when I found this on the Presidential Pet Museum, I was excited. I thought, hey, they mentioned sources. I'll ask them what their sources are. I'll get down to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to them. Unfortunately, No, no sources. <laughs> unfortunately, they did not have a record of their sources for this story. I don't think anyone's called the pet museum and said, I want your sources for, you <laughs> for that person. I mean, you can ask them that too, but I have a feeling you might have been the first. I, I don't know. In a long time anyway, because... <laughs> I, I'm special. So, yeah, you are. Um, so they replied. Well, they told me how they usually do their research. They said they usually start their research with Wikipedia, and then they seek out the sources that Wikipedia cites. And that's that's great. I do that, too. It's a great jumping off point. So I went to the Wikipedia page on presidential pets, and I saw Adams's alligator listed there. Mm-hmm. And, and they had their sources, I'm sure. Yeah, they had a citation, and I checked the citation. 
Wikipedia cited the article from the Presidential Pet Museum. Oh, so they're citing each other. <laughs> At this point, I thought these people are just messing with me. <laughs> I was like, this is the part where Aaron Brockovich just starts crying in her car. <laughs> it wasn't working Did out. Did you have the neck brace on and everything? You just I start crying in your car with multiple neck, neck braces. <laughs> oh. So I did my own research. And I hope you have your sources. I think I found the earliest known version of this story. So unlike Dolly Parton's quote, this actually goes way back to hmm. 1888. Mm. In The Household of John Quincy Adams, Harriet Taylor Upton wrote this sentence about the East Room of the White House. When General Lafayette made his visit there, this famous East Room was given to him to deposit the many curiosities sent him, some live alligators being among them. That's it. That's it. Just a nonchalant mention that some live alligators were chilling in the White House. The question is, where did they get that information? Was it true? And even if it was, it's such a leap from John Quincy Adams having a pet alligator that he used to scare the hell out of people. Right. So 1888, when that story was published, was 63 years after Lafayette's tour of the U.S. Mm -hmm. And that's a long time for no one to talk about alligators in the White House. (laughs) But no primary sources have been found that mention this. It's nowhere in John Quincy Adams' extensive diaries, and this seems like something that he would have written about. Okay. And nowhere in contemporary letters does anyone say, hey, can you guess what the president did to me when I tried to use his bathroom? (laughs) It's nowhere in contemporary letters or newspapers. It's nowhere in Lafayette's autobiography, or uh, there was a written account of his tour of the U.S. That tour does mention alligators. It says that Lafayette saw them in Mississippi. It doesn't mention that he acquired any. (laughs) All right. So we have no proof. We don't know 100% that an alligator of the Marquis de Lafayette's never spent any time in the White House, but it's highly unlikely. And we can say with confidence that John Quincy Adams never kept an alligator as a pet in a bathtub to scare guests with. Good, because I really pictured him as being a little bit smarter than that. (laughs) Yeah. and Not like a frat boy. Yeah, and a little bit less fun. (laughs) <laughs> like, I don't think he was a guy who would be doing pranks on people. Right. He took himself pretty seriously. He did. I understand him He correctly. felt a lot of pressure on himself all the time. Some mm-hmm. of it self-imposed, some mm-hmm. of it from his parents. He wasn't the kind of guy, I think, who would do that. So I wrote all about this in a blog in 2018. I remember this. And since then, Wikipedia and even Snopes.com cite me as a source for how doubtful the story is. Oh, finally, they have a real source. And it's you. It's me. Doesn't that warm your heart? It does, but there's still work to do. Oh, no. The Presidential Pet Museum, they published an update that mentions my findings and the unlikelihood of the story. They even apologize for spreading it, but their original article is still up, and it doesn't mention or link to their update at all. Hmm. So a lot of people are still going there and getting this outdated information. I think that could easily be corrected. Sounds like a choice that they didn't correct it. Yeah, it's like, we'll, we'll put the truth out there. But Alongside let's, the lie. let's keep having fun with this alligator <laughs> story. Come on. It's not hurting me to come on. And now, Snapple. Snapple. I, you know, I used to drink Snapples regularly, especially when I had a desk job. It was like the highlight of the day. And um, I really trusted those Snapple caps. They were delightful. So their only response to my emails and tweets about retiring, real fact number 1,211. So you've reached out to Snapple? I've reached out to Snapple. Of course you have. They responded. When do you do these things? When I'm sleeping? I don't sleep. (laughs) You don't. They responded that they can't reveal their sources or else they might not keep supplying them with real facts. So clearly somebody there has dropped the ball. Right. So Snapple, if you're listening, 
Oh, they are. I want you to know that I love your products. I've always trusted the facts on your Snapple caps. They're one of the best parts of opening that bottle of Snapple. And how they pop, pop, pop. They pop. And your peach tea tastes incredible. But do you know what I prefer? I prefer the taste of truth. (laughs) The taste of attention to detail. Yeah. The taste of customer service. And I prefer the taste of balls that haven't been dropped. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Like I've said, there's still work to do. But for now, just know this. John Quincy Adams' pet alligator is a croc. (laughs) And Snapple, we're watching you. Just retire that fact. You don't have to recall the cap. Just don't print anymore. Yeah, just take that one out of... Circulation. Yeah. Neither of these first two stories really hurt anybody. But the roots of this one are a little bit more malicious. Mm. And this is number three, the skinny dipping interview. So the story goes that when John Quincy Adams was president, or maybe years later when he was in the House of Representatives, he liked to go skinny dipping in the Potomac River every morning. True. That part is true. But it wasn't skinny dipping back then. It was just swimming. It was just swimming or bathing. (laughs) Men didn't have like swimsuits. This is just what they did. So it wasn't scandalous. No. Swimming. It was just swimming. It was just swimming. One morning, as the story goes, a feisty female reporter named Anne Royal desperately wanted to interview him. So she went to the river where he was bathing, sat on his clothes, and refused to move until he granted her an interview. This was said to be the first time a female journalist ever interviewed the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. This story has been shared so many places. Mm-hmm. Time Magazine, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and probably hundreds of other less credible places. And the skinny dipping part, like we said, mm-hmm. was true. Yeah. But he went swimming. He did. But he wasn't totally nude. I just want to put this out there. One observer said that he saw Adams wearing a black cap and green goggles. Oh. So picture that. <laughs> That's just precious. Yeah. <laughs> Over time, the story is it's morphed into like a fun example of a, a strong woman who challenged society's rules to get what she wanted. Mm-hmm. It almost seems like the opening of a romantic comedy. Right. Like when this. I first heard about it, I wanted to dig into it and I thought, oh man, this would be great for like a screenplay. Like, who is this woman? What happened? Right. right. As I found out when I dug into it, and that's not how the story started. Hmm. It started out as just another way to smear the reputation of a woman who had a lot of enemies. Hmm. Anne Royal. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about her a bit because the truth behind this story, the truth of Anne Royal's life is way more fascinating than this skinny dipping legend. Okay. So she was a Revolutionary War widow who she reinvented herself as a travel writer in her 50s. She gained a following. That's by, inspiring right there. Right? <laughs> she gained a following by like taking down hypocrisy wherever she found it, especially evangelical corruption. But it sounds like she did it in a good way as opposed to, you know, like Calendar in the previous episode who <laughs> seemed to make enemies wherever he went by talking trash. Yeah. And James Calendar was writing stories that were allegedly true. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to smear people with these things that they had done. But he was also sharing his political opinions. Anne Royal was just telling what she saw and what she thought. And yeah, taking down, especially, like I said, the church. She was a big proponent of the separation between church and state. And when she felt that religion was encroaching on the government, nothing upset her more. Okay, well, I really like her so far. I want to be her friend. (laughs) You will definitely want to be her friend. She had a gift for satire, too. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, that makes her especially dangerous because... Mm -hmm. Some men don't like to be laughed at. (laughs) What? Yeah. So So, were most of her enemies male and people of the church? That would probably sum it up, yeah. So 
In a letter to a Presbyterian church leader who challenged her views, she explained why she never read the Bible. Mm -hmm. She said, I was raised, as I said, among the heathen, where I learned nothing but virtue and independence. (laughs) When introduced among civilized people, the Bible was put into my hands. But before I looked into it, I watched the conduct of those who read it, and I found they committed murder. They robbed. They got drunk. They betrayed their friends and were guilty of all kinds of abominations. And I was afraid to read the Bible, lest I might do so too. (sighs) You can see why people might believe that she wouldn't have any qualms taking someone's clothes hostage. (laughs) Um, And you can also see why she had a lot of enemies. Yeah. So she was kind of having a war with this group of Presbyterians that lived really near her. It almost got her killed. One of them threw her down a flight of stairs. Wow. But she recovered. Then they started harassing her. They were throwing rocks at her window, and they were praying for her right outside her window every night so she could hear them. Oh, my God. So a woman. Yeah. Being attacked. At one point, she opened the window and started yelling obscenities at them, and that was enough to get the 60-year-old arrested and charged with being a common scold. Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, why is she the one being arrested for screaming out her window or door when she's being harassed at her home? And second of all, a common scold. So you can be arrested for being like an annoying person. Yeah. (laughs) English law defines that as a troublesome and angry woman who, by her brawling and wrangling among her neighbors, doth break the public peace and beget, cherish and increase public discord. What about all them breaking the public peace, being outside her door day and night? Pushing her downstairs. They weren't guilty of being a nasty woman like she was. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, bring on nasty women. Her Washington, D.C. trial was a circus. And she was found guilty. Oh, gosh. Was she drowned? Well, the (laughs) you always ask that. I'm just worried about women in that day and just one wrong move. And it seems like you're, you know, going to be killed by the masses, which it sounds like she almost was. The punishment for being a common scold was ducking. Oh, see? Being, ducking in water? Being tied to a chair. Oh, see, I told you. Suspended over water. This is what I'm talking about. And then submerged. So she survived this. It was a punishment just for women. Oh, my. See, this is why I'm asking if all these women have been drowned. The judge conceded that it was a cruel and unusual punishment. So Well, he, when, though? Years later? No, no, no. Before she was sentenced to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they did not send her to to drown she was not ducked according to her the stool the apparatus that she would be lowered in was already being built and people were talking about it and pointing to it and saying we can't wait for this to happen one other newspaper said how long should she be ducked we think four or five hours ought to do the trick oh my gosh that is torturous but instead she was fined ten (laughs) dollars that was Anne royal she was famous. She had a huge trial. Her books were pretty popular. You'd think that if she ever ambushed a president for an interview, that someone would have written about it. Right. But there are no primary sources for this skinny dipping interview. Hmm. The earliest source that I could find is this pseudo memoir from 1886. This pseudo memoir, it's like a murky secondhand account that mostly talks about how Anne Royal would bully people into subscribing to her newspaper and giving her interviews by threatening to write bad things about them if they didn't. And then it mentioned, oh, yeah, one time I heard she did this thing to John Quincy Adams. One variation of the story makes it clear that this is not a pro-royal story. This is not, look at this woman with chutzpah. Mm -hmm. In this 1925 version, Royal sits on the clothes and she tells Adams, if you try to get out and get your clothes, I'll scream. And I just saw three fishermen around the bend. 
here it becomes a story about a manipulative woman that's threatening to cry rape if she doesn't get what she's looking for. Hmm. This was just another attempt by her enemies to paint her as a nasty woman. Mm-hmm. And it's still kind of being perpetuated today yeah. based on what they said about her. There's this website, historyreference.org, mm-hmm. and it just goes all in on the royal hate. Like, this was written in the last 20 years, but it doesn't seem like it could be. It's describing Anne Royal. This strange wayfarer was small and stout. Her eyes were an astounding blue, but no one liked their prying glitter. She had dazzling teeth, which were always visible, for she laughed even when she raged. But it wasn't the laughter of good humor. She was persistent, ruthless, fussy, and bad-tempered. Gosh, they make her sound like an alien or something. Yeah, what the hell, history reference? Do you have some issues that you want to work out? Yeah, especially with a female's attributes or who cares if she has teeth that you're always seeing? Why, you know, you shouldn't be talking about someone's looks and making them sound scary like that just because you don't like her. Yeah, it sounds like they're editorializing the fact that she wasn't well liked by her enemies. There's ways to say that without (laughs) turning her into this creature. creature. So besides all of this, John Quincy Adams and Anne Royal knew each other. They were cordial. There was no reason she would have to go to any length to get an interview out of him. Let alone sit on his clothes while he's nude in the river. Right? Sorry, not nude. Goggles and a cap, you said? Yeah. <laughs> like a little seal with goggles on. That's him. <laughs> so yes, he loved skinny dipping. But no, he was never ambushed by a female reporter who sat on his clothes until he granted her an interview. So I have a question for you as a researcher. Yeah. I mean, are you saying this is not, and I I believe you, I agree that it's not true, but how do you determine if something's true? Just because there's evidence missing, you then point to it being not true? I I guess I could concede that if new evidence came out, contemporary accounts that were convincing then yeah, maybe maybe it happened. We can't say definitively that this story never happened, mm-hmm. but all of the evidence points to the fact that it never happened. There was even a 1910 version that had Anne Royal doing this to a different president. Mm. So either she was doing this all the time <laughs> or it was just a legend mm-hmm. that was reprinted. I think one reason the story is so persistent is because for decades in Washington, D.C., in the 1900s, there was a rock for a long time on the bank of the Potomac, and it was called Anne Royal's Rock. Mm. As the story went, that's where she sat on Adams's clothes. So I'm not a social psychologist, but I have to think that the believability of something you tell someone goes way up if you're pointing out something right in front of them. Mm-hmm. They can see. Yeah, it only makes sense. Like, if you point to a rock mm-hmm. and you say, there's a rock, all right, you've already established credibility because there is a rock. I can see it for myself. Yeah. So at that point, go on. I'm putty in your hands. Tell me the history of that rock and I'm mm-hmm. going to believe you. Mm-hmm. Every tour that we've been on, like in New Orleans, we walk around, they stop us in front of some building and they tell us something terrible that happened there. I have no idea if it's true, but there is a building there. So Might as well believe it. Right? <laughs> Why would they lie? They're telling the truth about a building. (laughs) So listeners, use that knowledge judiciously. (laughs) Be responsible with your social psychology. Yeah, people love props. (laughs) So before we move on to the final fact, I want to tell you that one president actually did have his clothes stolen while he was skinny dipping. By Anne Royale. No. No. Okay. George Washington. When he was 18 years old, he was washing in the river, and two girls allegedly robbed his clothes. Oh, it's like a now and then moment, <laughs> like where they were stealing the clothes of the boys they were trying to get back at. Except it Maybe? goes dark. Oh, really? Did I mean, 
Okay. He sued them. Okay. They were put on trial, and one of them, Mary McDaniel, was found guilty. Was she drowned? No. She was sentenced to 15 lashes on her bare back. Dude, Washington, who gives a shit about your clothes? Just let it go. He may have had, um, like, a wallet or something in there. Uh, who knows what I, they robbed. I don't know. But yeah, I would agree. That seems excessive. I mean, yeah. just the idea that someone did this and the response was... Whipping. To sue them. Oh, well, that too. I mean, maybe they didn't have an, he didn't have another course of action. Maybe that was his only way of being like, look, you know, I'm reporting this. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. he just reported it. but Or maybe he knew what would happen. I don't know. But I just, you know, the punishment does not fit the crime. We'll just say that. Yeah, I, I don't uh, condone it. So from this dark place, uh, let's move on to number four. Okay. John Quincy Adams and the Mole People. So this one is also really popular online. And it seems to have gained traction with a 2011 article from Crack.com called Six Presidential Secrets Your History Teacher Didn't Mention. One of those secrets was John Quincy Adams was a little insane. So... Yeah, just imagine how I'm feeling right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. They claimed that he believed the earth was hollow and that he funded an expedition to prove it so he could conduct trade with an underground race of mole people. Oh, what? The expedition was only called off because Jackson beat Adams in the election of 1828 and decided not to fund it. So the hollow earth theory, it was a thing. It wasn't a very popular thing, but it was a thing. And there was a man who wanted to prove it. And he did have an indirect connection to John Quincy Adams. He was retired army captain John Cleves Sims, who in 1818 started promoting his theory that the earth was hollow and that there were holes at each pole that you could actually go into to get to a series of smaller habitable earths inside. Oh, well, that sounds cool. Right. Yeah. This theory <laughs> called Sims Hole. This is definitely like an explorer's dream. I want to go kerplunking. Oh, yes. Yeah, the... Kerplunking? What is that? Spelunking? The... Spelunking. I like yours better. <laughs> kerplunking sounds a little more dangerous. <laughs> this theory, it was called Sims Hole, and it was a laughing stock of the scientific community. I can't imagine why. They didn't like his hole. <laughs> they didn't like his pole hole. <laughs> Sims convinced a newspaper editor named Jeremiah Reynolds of his theory. And Reynolds, at first, was trying to launch an expedition to the South Pole, or maybe the North, it gets murky, to test the theory. But then he eventually dropped the whole hollow Earth part of that expedition, and he focused more on launching an expedition to explore the Southern Pacific. Well, that shifted quite a bit. Yeah. Why did that happen? Um, I think he probably figured out I'm not going to get anywhere if I say I want to I want to go into the hollow earth. He figured out there were no pole holes. He decided he wasn't going to get ahead in life if he kept clinging to those pole holes and searching for them. Yeah. Okay. so I think that's, you know, a sane idea not to spend your life looking for the pole holes. Yeah. That's our advice to you. Don't go chasing pole holes. (laughs) Don't go go chasing pole holes. Stick to the rivers and the streams that you're used to. So author J.L. Bell, on his site, Boston 1775, he really nailed down the origins of this idea. And Boston 1775, by the way, is a wonderfully researched site. It's truly, it's a rabbit hole of early American history. Highly recommend diving into it. So Bell says that it all comes down to the definition of the word visionary. Hmm. So here's a full quote from John Quincy Adams's diary. This quote is the source of this whole, let's call it confusion. This whole pole hole. The, Yeah. Okay, sorry, I can't let it go. (laughs) No, don't let go of the pole hole. I'll let it go now. 
Mr. Reynolds is a man who has been lecturing about the country in support of Captain John Cleve Sims' theory that the Earth is a hollow sphere open at the poles. His lectures are said to have been well attended and much approved as exhibitions of genius and of science, but the theory itself has been so much ridiculed and is in truth so visionary that Reynolds has now varied his purpose to the proposition of fitting out a voyage of circumnavigation to the Southern Ocean. And he went on to say, It will, however, have no support in Congress. That day will come, but not yet, nor in my time. May it be my fortune and my praise to accelerate its approach. Okay, so he's hoping to be a stepping stone to the pole hole. No, no, he doesn't like the pole hole. Well, he says he likes it, but he isn't going to spend time of it on it in his lifetime. And maybe one day someone can work off of his work to then. That's how I understood it. So Adams, he'd already talked about Sims theory before in his diary as a crackpot theory. So we know that he didn't believe it. Oh. But this quote, it's easy to understand why someone would misinterpret it because Adams is enthusiastic. He uses the words genius of science and especially the part where he says the theory is in truth so visionary. Out of context, that can make it seem like Adams was into the hollow earth theory. Mm-hmm. But as J.L. Bell points out, visionary was not a compliment. Oh. One of its original meanings and the meanings that Adams mostly used was one whose imagination is disturbed. <laughs> and running wild. Yeah. So he wasn't saying this is a visionary theory in a way that meant this guy's forward, ahead of his time. And forward thinking. Yeah. yeah. He was saying that this is like a delusion. Mm. Okay, well, that would change the interpretation of the letter for sure. So the idea that John Quincy Adams believed in a hollow earth is false. The idea that he wanted to initiate diplomatic relations with mole people is also false. (laughs) Crack.com just seemed to like make that up because hole in the earth, habitable, there must be mole people down there like in 1950s science fiction. (laughs) But John Quincy Adams was 100% behind funding an expedition to the Southern Pacific. But he only backed Reynolds' expedition after Reynolds dropped the theory of multiple Earths within each other. Mm. But because it's way more fun to think that he was a kook who wanted to have diplomatic relations with mole people, that's what people share online. So now it's out there on the internet, and these things never die. Mm. A BBC site called History Extra has an article called American History Myths. And one of the myths it lists is John Quincy Adams was a serious and sensible president. It considers that a myth because it says John Quincy Adams kept a pet alligator in the White House (laughs) and funded an expedition to Earth's interior to find mole people. It does sound crazy. So their myth that John Quincy Adams is sensible is based on two myths that they cite as fact. (laughs) For shame. How how dare you? For shame. (laughs) So basically, all the fun facts that you read about John Quincy Adams on the internet are lies. Yeah, look into them at least. Except for the skinny dipping. He really did go skinny dipping. But he was never ambushed for an interview while naked. He never said you're a leader if you inspire others. He was not the original writer of Jolene. He never had a pet <laughs> alligator. And he never wanted diplomatic relations with the mole people at the center of the earth. But I still love him. We still love him even though these are all alternative facts. And if you know any alternative facts about John Quincy or any other president that you would like debunked or you question or you are having trouble finding evidence for, please write us because my husband would love to dive into debunking that for you. Yeah, we're on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter at Plod With Me. So I have a question for you. Oh, dear. If any of these could be true, which one would you want it to be? Mm. 
Well, I mean, I'm definitely motivated by the Anne Royal story. If it were true that she had done this and somehow paved the way for other female reporters, that would have been a really nice lie. But um, to find out that it was just to further her bad reputation and that there was maliciousness involved, obviously, I don't want it to be true. But it would have been cool if she had done that. And that was against the gender norms of the time. And she somehow made other women stronger for it. That would have been a nice story. Yeah, that makes sense. But really, her story and her life are a reflection of how terrible it was for women back then. Yeah, and recently there have been two biographies uh, about her, one by uh, Elizabeth J. Clapp and another by Jeff Biggers. Mm-hmm. And her story is starting to get told in a way that okay. it wasn't before. Okay. So those are great sources. Check out the show notes. If you go to plottingthroughthepresidents.com for this episode, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be able to find links to those books and other sources that I used here. So What's for, your favorite lie? Um, I th- I'd have to go with the alligator. Mm-hmm. I think I think it would be, first of all, I mean, we went on a airboat tour in New Orleans, outside of New Orleans, yeah. and we got to touch a baby alligator that oh, the tour guide so had. cute. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that there could have been a small baby alligator that was taken to the White House and spent some time there. Maybe it was a lizard. Yeah, those little Komodo dragons. I mean, maybe the person, a right? Komodo dragon? <laughs> like one of the deadliest creatures? Oh, I'm thinking of the little cute little beard, bearded dragons. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking about bearded, bearded dragons. Bearded dragons, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe they thought it was an alligator, but it was not. Or maybe it was a baby. Yeah, those well, they didn't write about anything. Um, in respect to that. So who knows? (laughs) Lack of evidence. The reason I'd like this to be true is um, Lyndon Johnson had an amphibious car. It was a convertible. And you could could drive it on land or you could drive it right into the water like a boat. Really? This was a thing back in the 60s that some people had. But he would sometimes take people for a ride and they didn't know that it was amphibious. Oh. So he would either pretend that like the brakes weren't working or that he was Why crazy and he would drive sc- right into the water. <laughs> Why do people want to scare people? I think that's a pretty good prank. Oh, I I think that's a terrifying prank. Here you're going to die. <laughs> oh, just kidding. That's not funny. It's pretty funny after. I don't after. feel like I'm going to die. No, it's not funny. Uh, fair it's enough. mean. Fair enough. I would like the idea that John Quincy Adams could be a little bit more like that. Mm-hmm. That that tickles me. But it just wasn't <laughs> him. Yeah, he took himself very seriously. So those are the top myths about John Quincy Adams. Those were great. Well done. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. If You're you, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> if you like what you heard, please help spread the word. Rate the podcast, write a review, and check out more on the show notes pages at plottingthroughthepresidents.com or on our Facebook page. Thank you for plotting. Thank you. We'll bring on nasty women.